All right, Thoughts in the Shade, episode 45. Welcome back, everybody. Um, we got a lot going on this week. Obviously, uh, the Sixers are looking to close out the Toronto Raptors. Uh, the Phillies are, are still struggling in their early going. And we had a surprise retirement uh, out of beloved Jay Wright at Villanova. Um, but really, you know, we, we can't bury the lead here. We got the NFL draft Thursday night, and Bob and I were fortunate enough uh, to speak with Dave Zingaro uh, late last week. And we're going to get to that in a little bit here on episode 45. But, uh, yeah, we talked to Dave, talked about the Eagles draft, and uh, looking forward to that and hope everybody enjoys it. But first, uh, we'll touch on the various topics here from the top and uh, check in with our guy, Bomb. So, Bomb, what's going on? What's up, G? Big week here, man. Future of the franchise at stake. We'll get to that with Dave. But, uh, yeah, I think the surprise news of the week was the the Jay Wright retirement. What do, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think just like everybody else, I was kind of kind of caught off guard. Um, you know, we, we have some friends that are St. Joseph's University loyalists. Uh, I think they, they, they were clapping their hands and shaking their pom-poms, um, you know, with class. But happy to see Jay go, maybe. I, I don't know if I would say they did it with class. There was a lot of dancing on graves, a lot of memes going around. I mean... I think it's disgraceful. I think it's despicable. I think to honor Jay Wright's legacy, his name should be in front of the Big Five, the Jay Wright Big Five. That's what I think they should do is totally rename the Big Five, the Jay Wright Big Five, because at this point, it's just the big one and the little four. Yeah, I mean, I, I, my real only thoughts were that, like, I, I don't know what the circumstances are. There, there's been rumors out there. Uh, about why he he decided to retire when he did, and kind of the process uh, that took place throughout the 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 last season that he coached with Villanova. But you know he he didn't pull a Roy Williams, he didn't pull a Coach K. He wasn't looking uh, to get his tires pumped on his way out. He was just <laughs> trying to win one more national championship, and ultimately fell short. Uh, and it feels like he he kind of did it all with class and didn't make it about himself it was just a a quick exit the last time two coaches that appeared in the final four left their jobs in the same year uh a couple decades ago dean smith and rick patino the patino press one of my one of my favorite all-time coaches um but yeah best of luck to jay obviously great career uh I, i believe obviously two natties uh, four Final Fours, dominated the Big East for, you know, more than a decade, uh, so on and so forth. But like I said, all the best to Jay. Um, but elsewhere on the hor- hardwood, here we're Monday evening, we're, we're minutes from uh, tip of Game 5. Sixers looking to close it out. They they won a nail-biter in Game 3 up in Toronto last Wednesday night. Joel Embiid hits the nothing-but-net fadeaway at the buzzer in overtime. Uh, big moment for Joel, big win for the Sixers, obviously, to take a stranglehold on the series. And then Saturday, uh, kind of an ugly game. You know, I think both games in Toronto have been kind of ugly, but they ult- ultimately fell short. Uh, c- probably the, the worst game of the series for Embiid. Obviously, he's got the thumb situation, and there's been a lot of talk about that. But back in Philadelphia tonight, the shop locker, Matisse Thibel, is available again in Philadelphia. 
Uh, so the Sixers will look to close the door on Toronto and advance to round two here in the NBA playoffs. So I, I don't know if you had any thoughts, Bob. I didn't get to watch a ton Saturday. Had some weekend things going on. Um, but the shot Wednesday was great. And, yeah, we'll look to close it out. I watched it. I watched both games. I guess my question to Sixers Nation, the processors, uh, the Simmons slurpers, at what point do you panic? Because we're obviously recording this Monday night. If this series is not closed out by the time this is coming through your ears, are you hitting the panic button? Because now it's 3-2. Doc's got a history of blowing big leads. I mean, if it gets to 3-3, forget it. You got to close them out and get. So hopefully, everything I'm saying has nothing to do with what's going on in the series. Hopefully, they close it out. They have closed it out by the time it comes through your earbuds. Because, uh, I don't know, man. I don't know. (laughs) I mean, no Van Fleet tonight for for Toronto. Uh, He's obviously one of their... They're top guns, uh, and, and Barnes is still kind of hobbled and everything. But, yeah, I mean, you never know. You, the last game is always the hardest to win uh, in any series, in any sport. So the Sixers got to gotta come together and get it done. Um, you know, I don't know how Embiid is feeling with the thumb situation, but the one thing that concerns me is, like, if, if he – if they ultimately lose earlier than, than maybe they should, like if they blew this series or – you know, they, they lost next round because Embiid just really wasn't effective and it didn't, you know, it wasn't at 100% giving them their best chance to win. Like, I, I don't want it to be a situation where it's like, oh, well, Joel was hurt. We, we just got to run it back again. I mean, Sixers fans have been doing that for like, what, the last three or four years? First, it was the bad, remember you ate the bad chicken sandwich or whatever it was? So we had a little gastrointestinal issue. Last year, the meniscus, ah, oh, the meniscus, oh, he's not going to get surgery. He, he's so tough. He plays. Look, you can, you can take the tough card. I'll give him credit. He's out there playing, but you got to deliver. The reason why Jordan's flu game is memorable is they won the game. Yeah, it's so true. So we'll see what happens. Hope for the best. Like you said, he, he's toughing it out and playing through it and still diving on the floor for balls and whatnot. So, so you do, you do got to give him, give him his credit there. Um, and, not to beat a dead horse, but but the shot Wednesday to to seal Game Three uh, could be a memorable moment if uh, if it's a long run here. But the one thing, you know, I hate to be the guy that's got to ask the question. You know, everybody's more worried about MVP and you know going on this run and everything. But early in the series, all the Sixer fans, even Joel himself, was talking to Nick Nurse courtside as as. They played the song at the center, and the final seconds went down on game two. And everybody was bitching about Nick Nurse, complaining about the the officiating. And the Sixers go up 3-0. They lose Saturday, and Joel Embiid is is mocking the referees, walking off the court with the golf clap. And then he's you know making sarcastic comments in the media after the game, saying that they did their job. You know, everybody knows what he was implying. Uh, that that the rest were no good in the game. So I, I get that he does it in, in a funny way, but I just got to ask the question, like, how is this guy, like, is this not hypocritical for, for him to be talking to the opposing team's coach on the sideline while there's still time on the clock about complaining about officiating? And then this guy is out after game, game four 
complaining about officiating? Like, what's going on here? Is is the question fair? Yeah, it's a fair question. But like every Sixers fan, every honk, every processor, you know, they hate it when somebody complains about officiating when it's against them. But then the minute, jo- well, Joel's just trying to get his due, man. He's not treated like an MVP. He's not treated like a superstar. And it's terrible. I mean, that's why, you know, a guy like Nick Nurse, much better coach than Doc. And you could talk about this series. Okay, great. But the head coach is the guy that needs to be out there chirping the refs, not your star player. No, I agree. And one guy has a championship to his name and one guy doesn't. So wait, wait, (laughs) hang on here. I'm talking about Embiid, not Doc. Oh, all right. All yeah, right. I'm talking Embiid. I was going to say, I mean, you're, you could take it away from that. I mean, he was carried. Yeah, we can all argue he was carried. But you would think the guy with the championship to his name has a little more a uh, little more rope with with the with the officials that, than than say Embiid. And he's got that logo on the hat, like that NN logo on the hat. Like that shit's fire. He's you got like that? his own logo. I, I I've been saying to people that Nick Nurse looks like that the the dad at like your your uh, in house basketball game like back in the day that that just took it way too seriously and was like hounding like high school kid officials at, at your rec league game when you were in like seventh grade. Yeah, like screaming about the fact that they're in the double bonus and not not the uh, the single bonus and they missed a foul. Yeah, a hundred percent. He's got the jumpsuit on. Yeah, that that's that's Nick Nurse. So I I, I don't I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm the asshole, but I got I got to I got to ask the question because Nick Nurse wasn't allowed to to piss and moan about the officiating. But the Sixers lose one game and it's all about the officiating. It's it's a little bizarre, but hopefully they close it out here Monday night. Move on. Probably look forward to playing the Miami Heat and and our old pal Jimmy Butler. Uh, that that'll create some storyline as well. Back! Um, but before we get to to Dave and uh, and football, I guess we'll just check in with you, Bomb, on the Phillies. I mean, I've been watching a ton. There was, uh, you know, the Phillies were on Sunday Night Baseball last night against Milwaukee. They lose one zero, uh, and all the talk I'm I'm hearing Monday and and Sunday night. Is is not about the Phillies' lack of ability to to put a run on the board. It's about who is who is the umpire? Angel Angel Hernandez. Angel Hernandez. So I'm hearing all about how Angel Hernandez had this historically bad night behind the plate. I'm talking about the umpire, um, but nobody wants to talk about how the team put up another goose egg and that they got six wins through 16 games. It's just all about Hernandez. Well, I mean. You know, rather than blaming singular guys or rather than blaming multiple guys on the Phillies, you could blame one guy behind the plate. And he was he was terrible. I mean, he was he was awful. The the call that he had uh, against Segura with the bases loaded. Uh, oh, oh, count one out uh, a slider. I think it was about a foot off the plate uh, strike. I mean, he was it was a little league zone. Um, So. Quick game, you know, maybe Angel Hernandez got the memo from Rob Manfred. They want to speed up the game. You know, all they talk about is there's too much dead time in baseball. You know, we got to play these games quicker. Well, one nothing. Uh, a, a ton of balls that were called as strikes. Angel Hernandez is just taking his marching orders from my, Rob Manfred. 
it's just crazy to me that the the amount of publicity and interaction this has gotten on social media in the last 24 hours. I mean, you would think this guy robbed the Philadelphia Phillies of like game seven of the world series. And kind of the other thing that I, that I think about, and I, I get, you mentioned little league strike zone and this is the major leagues, but you would think if you, if you see an ump calling a game a certain way early on that you would adjust, maybe you would choke up, get a little bit closer to the plate, try to defend the dish a little bit and just go down hacking. Um, you know, but but instead, Kyle Schwarber blew up, and Joe Girardi had to come out uh, and, and not show any emotion whatsoever. Um, but you know, everybody's so worried about this computerized strike zone. Oh, it it was a strike. It wasn't a strike. Like, you know, you you've played more baseball than me. When you see how the umps call in the game, it, it's different every day, and and you go out and adjust in the game. But no, we have this. It's 2022. We have a computerized strike zone that tells us exactly what's a ball and a strike. I mean, it's easy to say that. Like, yeah, I just love, <laughs> I love the G mentality where it's like, you know, this is this is the rallying points you'd give like the ten year olds, you know, playing Tri Township, which I love. I appreciate. Hey, cho- little Johnny, choke up on that bat, get up on that plate. Hell don't yeah. Call that strike. Like, don't go down looking. Yeah, don't go down looking. But the fact of the matter is, it's bigger than two strikes. You know, the difference between getting up 1 0 in a count and being down 0 1 in a count is astronomical at the major league level. And the fact that this guy was calling a huge zone, uh, particularly against the Phillies, they have a ton of left handed bats. You look at Schwarber, you look at Harper against this nasty lefty that, that Milwaukee was throwing. Um, and then even, even with two strikes, I mean, there was a statistic on Angel Hernandez last night, uh, where basically he had six called strike threes on Sunday night on pitches that historically had a less than 50% chance of being called strikes. And that is tied for most in a game in the last two seasons. So it's not that he had a bad game. It's that he had the wor- one of the worst games in the last like full two years. Um, so yeah, I mean the Phillies approach can change, but when when he's calling a pitch, you know, six inches off the plate, you know, the first pitch of the at bat, what do, what do you do? You you could say, oh, get up on the plate, but it's just it's totally deflating. It takes the wind out of your sails. You see something away, you spin on it, and you turn around, and this asshole's ringing you up. Yeah, maybe my approach applies more 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 to two strike hitting than falling behind 0-1 at the major league level. Yeah, you can't fall at the major league level. It's all about getting into counts where you have leverage. That's all it is. You you get up 1-0, you get up 2-0, you get up 2-1. When it, when it's flipped, good night. Yeah, some of those calls are egregious. Uh, I mean, how was he for for? The Brewers, when the Phillies were on defense, was it was it both ways? It was both. It was, I guess you could call it both ways. Um, there was a statistic. Let me let me pull it up here. Um, this guy does a good job. I mean, he does like every game. It's uh, on Twitter. It's at Ump Scorecards. His website's UmpScorecards.com. And he gives you a breakdown of each umpire, each game, how they do in terms of accuracy, consistency, and who they generally favor. Uh, 
per his scorecard, uh, Milwaukee uh, basically was favored by uh, seven to eight tenths of a run. Uh, the Phillies, uh, based on Angel Hernandez's calls, received minus 0.99 runs. Milwaukee received minus 0.22 runs. Um, he wasn't too bad with balls. Uh, there were 81 balls called. Only five of them were, were strikes. But in terms of strike accuracy, he called 48 strikes. 11 of them were balls. So 77% accuracy. Um, the issue is, yeah, he was bad both ways. You heard Schwarber say it. The three most impactful missed calls that actually had the biggest change in terms of run expectancy all went against the Phillies. And if you look in that last at bat uh, where Hader gets, or sorry, where uh, Schwarber gets punched out by Hader, Hader whips around and he's like almost flabbergasted. Like you could see him kind of like grimacing at the call. Then they zoom in on Andrew McCutcheon out in the outfield and he's like, Literally, like looking around, just like shaking his head. So, Sports Center ends up interviewing McCutcheon uh, after the game, and they get to the question about Hernandez. And they they ask uh, they ask McCutcheon. They're, they're like, "Well, Andrew, you know, you were in that other dugout. Like, it was Schwarber almost speaking for uh, for for both teams there." And McCutcheon goes, "Oh yeah, I think he was speaking for both teams, and, and also the fans." <laughs> So he was like, he killed him. He's like, yeah, you just, you know, what can you do? You just got to like fight through it and, and, and try to get a win. But you know, they're, they're guessing just as much as we are. I guess you're, you can't be surprised that it's a one, nothing game when the strike zone is, is gigantic. Uh, like it was Sunday night. Yeah. But I mean, let's not, let's not get this twisted. Like hopefully this becomes a rallying point for this team where they, they get fired up and, and they start hunting fastballs. But the fact of the matter is, before this game, they have not hit. They just have not hit. Um, the approach looks looks poor. They're taking fast fastballs. They're missing fastballs. And, yeah, it's early. Um, but if I hear, like, Ruben Amaro talk one more time about how it's still spring training for these guys, hitters and pitchers included, uh, I heard something the other day that, oh, this would have been Zach Wheeler's first start. I don't give a shit. We're 16 games in. The the season is 10% over, and we're still hearing about uh, getting them stretched out, and you know the hitters haven't gotten their full 110 at bats in spring training. Like Ruben Amaro has never uh, has never criticized anyone ever in the, in those pinstripes, as evidenced by some of the contracts that he gave out. I mean, this guy can't keep it real at all. Um, but you know, it's, it's just my two cents. I, I think they. There's plenty of time. There's no reason to panic. But at some point, they're going to have to kick it into gear here and uh, and start getting their approach approach uh, in order and start hunting fastballs and, and get up in counts. Yeah, well, I mean, weather-wise, it's a late start to spring. Phillies-wise, it's a late start to uh, the the almighty promised hitting season that, that we were going to see from this cast of characters on this Phillies team. But, yeah, through 16 games, they said 6-10. and 10. I believe here Monday night they kick off a four-game series with the Colorado Rockies at home, and we'll see if they they can turn the ship around. Well, gee, you mentioned it, hitting season. It's not quite hitting season yet, but it is Howie season. It is Howie season, and we've got the NFL draft in Las Vegas starting Thursday night. Uh, Right now the Philadelphia Eagles on Thursday night 
should they hold their picks, will select 15th and 18th overall. Um, just before we send it to Dave, um, I mean, for me, I'd like to see them make an ad at wide receiver. Um, obviously, they have a couple holes in the secondary, one corner, one safety. Uh, you could argue that they need need another pass rusher uh, or some more help along the defensive line. They could use another linebacker. And I feel like a position that that isn't really talked about a ton, I don't know what you've heard, um, but but that is the offensive line. I think they I think they need a piece on the offensive line. Uh, you look at it as as it is constructed right now. Like the only guys that I think that you could count on for the foreseeable future, like beyond 2022, are really Milata and Dickerson. I think um, Herbig just stopped, signed his RFA tender today. I mean, he's a solid fill-in guy, but obviously Kelsey's on a one-year deal. Uh, I don't know what the status of Samalo is. And, you know, Lane Johnson's getting up there, so you don't know how much he has left. Um, so I, I wouldn't blame them for, for trying to add a, a decent piece on the O-line as well. Yeah, you'll never hear me complain about drafting drafting anybody in the trenches early. Uh, I think it's one of the best strategies. Um, but for me, if we're talking about sexy positions and who we want them to go after, give me a corner. Give me a guy that can run. Give me a guy you can put opposite Slay, uh, learn from Slay, and then ultimately wave goodbye to Slay at the end of next year. All right, well, with that, we'll send it over to Dave Zingaro from NBC Philly. Really excited to, to introduce our next guest. Uh, definitely a guy who's who's got a strong pulse on what's happening at, at NovaCare. And in South Philadelphia uh, with our Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, he's covered the NFL since 2011. Spent two years covering the Houston Texans uh, before returning home to cover our beloved Philadelphia Eagles for NBC Sports Philadelphia. He's been doing that since 2015. He is the pride of South Jersey and Rowan University. Uh, we're happy to introduce Dave Zingaro. Uh, Dave, thanks for joining the show. We really appreciate it. Uh, how's your offseason been treating you? It's been going well. Uh, excited for the draft, though. The draft is weird because it's like you talk about the same things for like, you know, six months, really, you know, even before the season ends. So I, I enjoy draft weekend. I'm excited for it. And then a little bit of a lull before training camp, which is always nice, too. Sure. Yeah. And I guess, you know, we've got a list of questions that, that we'll kind of run you through. Um, but But just kind of off the top here. Uh, what are your plans for the draft? Will you be at Novacare? Will you be in Vegas? What, what's draft weekend look like for you? I'll be at the Novacare. Uh, it's funny. I've never uh, actually gone to the draft itself. Even when it was in Philly, I didn't go because it's not really like that worthwhile for me. Uh, I'd rather be at the team facility covering it there. And they like once they make the pit. So the way it'll work on Thursday night is they'll, if they stay where they are, they'll make the two picks. And then they'll they'll bring out um, Howie Roseman and and probably Nick Sirianni, maybe Jonathan Gannon if they draft a defensive player. And then they'll normally get the kid on a conference call for us pretty quick. Um, so it, they go through kind of like a car wash deal. They once they get drafted, they're kind of whisked away. They do in person interviews there, one on one. They get on the phone with us back in Philly, and then normally the next day they'll fly them in and do a press conference. So. Uh, I always feel for the kids because they, they're like exhausted by 
the time they get to wherever city they're going to. But on draft night, it's fun. It's we'll normally sit like in the in the auditorium at the Novacare Complex, watch it on the uh, on the big screen there, and, and kind of work from from the facility. I'm hoping that's the way it is this year. That was the way it was pre-COVID, so we'll see. Sure. Well, Dave, you mentioned draft night, and this is a question I think that has plagued Eagles fans for over a decade, even back when Andy Reid was in town. Do you know what's going on in the war room? There's been so many rumors about you know, Jeff Lurie's fingerprints all over the player evaluation uh, process, uh, information about you know guys being passed on for medical reasons, scouts being overridden by Howie Roseman, and it kind of culminated last year with the a viral clip of Tom Donahoe and, and Howie Roseman having a little bit of a, uh, I guess you could call it a tiff there on, on camera. So what do you know about the war room? Who's making these decisions? Yeah. I mean, ultimately it's, it's on Howie, right? It's his job to coordinate all the information and it, it comes from coaches. It comes from their scouts, all their scouting department. It comes from sometimes players. If they have a player who's a teammate with the kids, they'll, they kind of explore every avenue. It's, it's an exhaustive process. And that's not to say it always works because they, it obviously doesn't always work. We've seen that, right? But uh, the process itself is pretty fascinating because they, they go deep on some of these guys, especially the early round picks. Um, and it's not just football stuff. I mean, anyone can throw on the tape and watch and be like, that's a good player. But it's about um, kind of learning about who he is. If you love football. You can see when if you if you don't love football, you're Danny Watkins and you're out of league in two years, you know. Um, so it's about trying to figure out who they are as people, how they'd fit the scheme, the culture, and it's it is a process. It's and yes, like Jeff Lurie is involved to some extent. I don't think, you know, in the fourth round, Jeff Lurie's like, hey, you got to draft this cornerback from Iowa or whatever. Like that's not the level of involvement that he has, but. It's his team. He's going to be involved. And if it's a major decision, he's going to be more involved. So, like, think back to 2016 when they, they make the trade-ups and they, they go meet with Carson Wentz at the Combine. I mean, that was a franchise-altering decision. It would be crazy if Jeff Lurie didn't meet with him or, or wasn't involved in that process. So, uh, I think it's varying levels. And the Donahoe thing last year was a bad look. It, it was just like absolutely bad luck for the organization to have seemingly one of the, like the oldest guy in the room who's been doing it longer than anyone there look that upset. Uh, but they so what the deal was there, they traded back and they were basically cool the way the organization looked. They were cool with getting either of those players, the defensive tackles. They wanted one of them and they took one of them. And, and I think it was a good pick and, uh, it's funny. It, it was just bad luck for them. They got caught, got caught on camera. And you think back to like the Vikings celebrating with the Justin Jefferson pick. It's teams have to be aware that there's cameras on them in that room. And sometimes uh, they're not so good at that. No, to- totally agree. And obviously in the heat of battle in the war room over multiple hours and multiple days, uh, th- things happen, but you're spot on. Got to be aware of it. You touched on this a little bit, Dave, talking about, you know, kind of the evaluation process. And one of the things we, we've we always wondered, particularly in recent years where we've had the Carson Wentz's of the world, the Ben Simmons of the world, the Markel Fultz's, even Nolan Patrick to an extent, 
it seems like obviously it takes a special kind of guy that that can play in the city. Um, do you have any sense of when when you're talking with players, you know, guys that are going to make it, guys that aren't going to make it, just based off of their qualities off the field? And in the same vein, like, what do you think the team is looking for in that regard? Yeah, uh, sometimes you feel like you have a good sense, and then you get fooled. And I I, I kind of think that's to some extent what happened with Carson and. The Carson thing is just such a a weird situation that it almost doesn't even like fit in any box because you can still argue to this, and I'll argue it to this day, that was a great pick. I mean, they drafted a guy who should have been the MVP in year two, helped them win a Super Bowl, and everything after that, there's fault on both sides. And maybe they could have identified some of the personal flaws that he has in that pre-draft process, but... I know they came away from that just enamored with the guy. So either something happened from that point to where things started to go bad or he had them fooled. And uh, it's not, maybe it's not even he had them fooled. Maybe it's that the, the circumstances had changed so much. He was in North Dakota state where he was this like star stud athlete and he hadn't really dealt with any adversity other than some injuries. And, and then he came to Philly and couldn't handle it. But um it's it's an exhaustive process, especially for some of the guys, right? Like, and it's not about, I, I think your question was kind of like, you know, can they handle Philly? And that's part of it, but it's more about making sure that they're committed uh, to, to doing whatever they need to do to maximize their potential. And sometimes it's, it's easy to tell, like, uh, and, and sometimes it's like, you don't even need to do homework. You know, Devontae Smith, we get it, right? Like he's he's the Heisman Trophy winner. All he does is care about football. All he does is watch football. Like you don't really have to worry about that guy too much. But there are players with red flags. They have to do a little more homework on, and uh, they do it. I mean, they try to do it. And you're not going to hit 100%. Uh, it's about trying to find the best process. And you know, you think back to like I, I've been, but sometimes you miss. And I can think back to some times where. I'll meet a guy and, and 10 minutes later, I'm like, this isn't going to work. You know, you just, you just know. And um, I won't give you an Eagle cause it's a little too soon, but in my time with the Houston Texans, there was a guy named Sam Montgomery and it's long enough now that I don't feel like anyone will care. It was 2013. And uh, he was an LSU, LSU, I think it was LSU player. And it's like a third round pick third or fourth round pick. He showed up to rookie minicamp out of weight or out of, out of shape, totally overweight, and was, like, hiding behind the, the water dispensing unit. From the first moment, you go, this isn't going to work, and it didn't work. And so sometimes you see that, and you're like, how in the world does a team miss this? Sometimes they don't miss it. Sometimes they just hope that things change, and I'll steal a, a Howie quote that hope is not a very good strategy. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny. You mentioned Wentz, uh, obviously Dennis here, uh, has a lot of thoughts on the guy and, and ultimately it didn't pan out. We'll be playing him twice next year. So, so looking forward to that, but in terms of evaluation, we're talking draft, um, you know, we're, we're big college football fans as well. Um, and you know, do the Eagles and, and do you, and, and the guys who kind of put together these draft boards, like, do you measure the level of competition or are they measuring the level of competition? Because, you know, we hear like 
watching college football, like we really like what the Eagles did last year in terms of drafting Devontae Smith and Landon Dickerson, like best team in the country, best coach in the country. Like it, it's really like a no brainer. Um, but you know, you see these boards and you see some of the picks that, that shake out. Uh, so like what separates a guy uh, in the early rounds, like that plays in the PAC 12 uh, after dark here on the East coast that we don't really see. Or a guy in the Big 12 where defense, you know, some people say defense is optional in the Big 12. So, like, what makes a guy in those conferences kind of stand out uh, at the top of the draft versus, you know, the guys that are shining under the bright lights of the college football playoff? Yeah, it's fair. And I, I think sometimes, we like, it, you could just be like, hey, just draft SEC players and, and go from there. And it's, look, it wouldn't be a horrible strategy, but sometimes those players, and it's not a knock on them, but you look at a great team and sometimes you can hide a lesser player or they have a very specific role and you can kind of get in trouble. So I used to be, and I, over the years I've kind of changed my tune on this a little bit. I used to be like, just let the film dictate who you draft, but it's, that's not good enough because the measurables matter and um, athleticism matters. And so a lot of the smaller school guys, one of my favorite trips when I get to make it, I haven't done it every year, but it's getting down to the senior bowl in Mobile because you, you have a chance to see some of these smaller school guys go against players from the SEC. And it's like the only part of the pre-draft process is actually like football. You know, they're actually out there practicing against one another, you know, offense, defense, and one-on-one. Whereas like the combine, I, I still feel is very valuable. I think the testing portion matters, but uh, the Senior Bowl to me is a, is a cool event because you really get to see them in football situations. And it's a good chance, like, thinking back to Carson in 16, there were questions about him coming from North, North Dakota State. How would he handle um, that scenario? And he handled it fairly well that, that week. It was great, actually, that week. Uh, even Dak Prescott, who was at Mississippi State, um, he handled himself very well that week, too. Uh, so it matters and you try to put them on a level playing field as much as you can. And then you go to the, the film and you try to match it up to the test numbers because some guys just test way better than they're ever going to play. And some guys play way faster than they're ever going to test. Like it's, uh, Kyle Hamilton runs a four five nine at the combine. Anyone who watches Kyle Hamilton is not worried about his speed. It's, it's about, you know, trying to match it up as best you can. And sometimes a guy will run a 4-4, and, and one of my favorite sayings is a 4-4 in the wrong direction doesn't do anybody any good, right? You have to have at least some level of instincts to figure out, all right, you have to match it with, you can run fast, but is it just straight line speed? Does it help you? Um, so you, it, it's a kind of a, a melting pot. You have to try to figure out how to put all that information together and then draft. It's not easy. It, and Every it's funny we look at the Eagles so specifically, but like teams struggle drafting. It's it's the hit rate is is so low when you look at a seven round draft that um, even with all the time and effort spent, you're still going to miss quite a bit. Yeah, for sure. And I think like one of the things that that's been encouraging, despite how he's misses maybe in the earlier rounds, is is some of the hits that he's had recently in the later rounds, like like Mylotta. Um but just to, to change gears a little bit, I want to talk about the wide receiver position. Um, and we've kind of heard from, from Jeffrey Lurie 
and Howie Roseman probably since kind of the end of last season, how they want to kind of build now and build for the future. Um, and obviously when you're building a football team, what's the corner piece? It's the quarterback. Um, and, and like speaking of wide receiver, like in order to give Jalen Hurts a, a fair shake, uh, you know, the best chance to succeed in 2022 uh, and to make like a fair evaluation of him as the franchise quarterback, like don't you think they got to address the wide receiver position, whether it's in the first round with kind of like the five names that are on the board there in the mocks, um, or, or or can they go external? Obviously, with the news of, of Debo Samuel requesting a trade this week, does ha- is how he licking his chops? Does does he have something up his sleeve in that regard? Yeah, the Debo thing is uh, it's out there, right? I mean, he's he's potentially available. AJ Brown too, like if you wanted to go that route, but. The problem with trading for a player like that is the cost, and it's the cost in draft picks, and it's the cost in salary. So if you look at Debo, right, what's it going to take? Well, you have Tyreek Hill, who just got traded for a haul. So if you're the Eagles and you're trying to put together a package, it's going to start with one of your first-round picks this year. And then it's probably going to be a third-round pick, your, your higher third round pick plus other picks. I mean, the Tyreek deal was a one, it was a later one though, a one and a two. So maybe you say, all right, it's the higher one plus a third round pick and some day three picks after that. That in itself is a lot. And then, okay, now you have this player. He's on a one year deal, basically. That's not, you didn't trade him to let him play a year. So you re sign him. I think 25 mil is probably the starting price. You know, if, if Tyreek Hill got 30 mil a year, there's, I think, four, three or four receivers above 25 mil. Debo's put himself in that category. So now you're saying, all right, we've traded away a first-round pick, a third-round pick, a four and a five, whatever it is, and now we're going to give you a four-year, $100 million contract. It's fair to wonder, like, is that the best allocation of resources, or do you use that pick on a player, use those four picks on players, or in some way to get players and then have that money to use elsewhere. It's, it's a fair question. I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. What I will say is I think it's easier to talk yourself into that than it is paying a lesser player a lot of money because the going rate has exploded. Like Christian Kirk getting $18 million a year, you know, that's a tough sell for me just because that's the going rate. Debo, you can start to talk yourself into a little bit more. I still don't think, that's the avenue they're going to go. I think it's more likely they try to build through the draft and, and get some young players, which is tough because they haven't drafted particularly well at the position. But I, I don't think that should stop them from trying to to figure it out now. Yeah, for sure. And, and not to hammer you on the point, but like, do you think, you know, Lori and Roseman, like, does it feel like a priority to make a significant ad there in order to give Jalen Hurts a fair shake this year? I'll tell you what, I, I think the way the organization looks at it is they have Devontae Smith and they have Dallas Goddard. And those two, they want to be kind of the focal points of the offense. And those are two players who kind of demand targets, right? Devontae is a rhythm guy. He, he, can, he, he probably he needs more targets than he got last year. I think that's fair. I think there were times where they kind of strayed away from him for far too long. And Dallas Goddard now is a true number one tight end, he needs more targets. So I think they're looking at it like, all right, we can run the offense through these guys. 
and they want to add. I think they do want to add, but what kind of player is it? Is it a player who, and this is a Debo thing, I really like the player. Debo needs touches. And if you're going to trade and sign Debo, he better get his touches. And all of a sudden, it completely changes your offense, which might not be a bad thing because you have this great player. You want to figure out how to use them. But then does it stunt the growth of Devontae? Does it limit Dallas Goddard and what he can be? I don't know the answer to that, but I think those are the things they try to work through. Uh, so if I look at, like, what's the complementary player to Devontae Smith? And I think a lot of people are fixated on the idea it needs to be like a big bodied type of player. Like when Allen Robinson was out there, people were like, go get Allen Robinson. Like, sure. I mean, that can work. That can absolutely work. I think the key though is finding a player who can make a maximum impact with minimum targets or minimal targets, I should say. So when I look at this receiver class and I see Jamison Williams, okay, here's a guy who can catch three balls in a game and can completely change the dynamic of the offense without needing to be fed constantly. So whether it's, it's him or, or you, you want that big body and you say, all right, well, we really want that bigger receiver, whether it's, you know, Drake London or you want to use a second round pick on Christian Watson, whatever it is. Um, I just, I think I'd be careful with getting a volume guy. I mean, I, I know you like Williams from following you, you know, leading up to the draft here. And I just think about, him, you know, running a fly route and clearing out a ton of space across the middle for a Devontae Smith or a Dallas Goddard. So I'm kind of with you there. Um, now, you know, I mentioned Ga- uh, Galen, Jalen Hurts. Um, seems like they're committed to him for, for 22, and we'll see what happens after that. But, you know, with Howie Roseman, you got to ask the question, is, is there a chance of an addition to the quarterback factory? Uh, I don't think it's likely. Um, this first this quarterback class just isn't very good, frankly. It's it's just not, and it's not just like or maybe Malik Willis is an improvement. Maybe, maybe not right now. But like, is he a big enough improvement to kind of change directions and start over with a quarterback? I wouldn't do that. Um, I think they looked into in the offseason. I think they did look into Sean Watson and they looked into Russell Wilson because those players are no brainers, right? Like those are players who can step in. And a big deal is leadership, too. Um, you know, Jalen Hurts has a pretty good command of that locker room. So if you're going to bring in another quarterback to potentially compete for a job, then you got to worry about the locker room fracturing a little bit. And we kind of saw that in 2020 when they drafted Jalen Hurts because he just, he had that kind of gravitational pull. They brought him in and there were guys who kind of went that way. And then the worst Carson played, the more guys went that way. So you have to be careful. If they brought in Deshaun Watson and Russell Wilson, no one's questioning it, right? Those guys are they're the leaders or the quarterback. Sorry, Jalen, you're either on the bench or you're gone. But if you draft Kenny Pickett, is that, is that doing it? Like, is that, and, and then there's this thing where like, People think the Eagles don't like Jalen Hurts. They like Jalen Hurts. They drafted Jalen Hurts. They drafted him at 53 overall. No, and it they took into account what it might do to the locker room. Obviously, they they didn't uh, gauge that correctly because it had a bigger effect than they thought it would. But they were willing to bring him in then because they liked him enough, and he was a developmental guy. The problem is now he's a developmental guy 
as a starter, which is never what they anticipated. Um, but we'll see what happens with him. I, I don't know what he is. I really don't. He's improved. He, he definitely improved from year one to year two. I think he's going to improve from year two to year three, but I don't know if it'll be enough long-term. And, and that's what they have to kind of figure out this year. Cause then they have to pay him if he's, if he's the guy. No, totally, Dave. And I'm uh, personally, I'm a I'm a Hurts guy. I'm a I'm a Howie guy. I, I like what kind of what they're building. I, I like the idea that Jalen Hurts is a guy that you know has that mental makeup that we talked about earlier. And now the question is, is he able to take that leap forward in uh, in 22? Uh, a, a question about Howie. This is something that comes up from our listeners. I'm accused of being a Howie honk, a Howie honk. And then uh, a lot of the listeners are what I like to call Howie haters. And if I think about that on like a continuum, Dave, I'm probably 75%, 25% honk to hater. Like I, I, I skew pro Howie. Um, how do you feel about Howie on, on, the, on the honk to hater continuum? I don't know how to put myself on that scale. Um, I, I think he does certain things very well. I, really. I mean, he, uh, he's a forward thinker in a lot of ways. And he had a quote the other day that, really kind of lent itself to that idea is that you know he kind of wants to go against the grain and they've done that in a lot of ways whether it's at times salary cap management or the valuation of players or positions but he has weak spots we all know the weak spots right and it's it's drafting it's it's a really big weak spot um overall i, I look around the league and, and there are much worse gms than howie roseman i I think he's – I don't think he's the best GM either. I think he's of average general manager in the league. And it's a long body of work. And he's been given uh, – he's, he's in a unique situation here because of the longevity and the job security. He can operate in ways that are a lot different than other GMs. You know, other GMs are fighting for their job. They don't really have the benefit of being able to play the long game. How he's – the other day he was talking about he didn't want to draft three players because they'd be on their fifth year uh, options in 2026. It's 2022. I mean, so he's thinking that far in advance. That's a luxury most GMs don't really have. Um, and I think that has benefits and it has drawbacks. The drawbacks is that he's really secure in his job, but that's the benefit too, because he gets to make decisions that he thinks can help the team longer than most GMs would figure they'd be around. So. Um, I wouldn't say I'm like a pro Howie guy, but I think he's he's pretty good at a lot of things. What worries me and what should worry fans is if Andy Weidel gets hired away after the draft to Pittsburgh. Because then all of a sudden, you've lost your three of your top personnel guys because uh, Brandon Brown and Ian Cunningham already got hired away uh, and within the last two months. And they, they have some talent in the front office, but I don't know if it's enough. They might have to start thinking about going outside the building again, like when they hired Joe Douglas and, and Andy Weidel back in, what was it, 2017? Yep, just before the Super Bowl. Yeah. All right, so we'll, we'll, we'll kind of wrap um, with this for you here, Dave. I mean, obviously right now the Eagles are sitting at, what, 15 and 18 in the first round, 51 overall in the second. Um, I, know, I know you're running some mocks. Uh, who do you have them taken with those selections? Should they keep them? in your mocks and just quickly, like 
What does a successful draft and remainder of the offseason look like to you for the Philadelphia Eagles? Yeah, I think uh, to answer the last question first, they have holes to fill. And it's it's a little dangerous going into the draft with holes to fill because you worry they're going to reach. But they need to figure out CB2. They don't have one right now. They need to figure out the other starting safety spot. They need to add a receiver. And they they need to get a little bit more on the defensive line. The defensive line, they're going to draft one at some point, whether it's first round, second round, third. They're not going to go 10 picks and not draft a defensive lineman. I, I'd imagine day one or day two. So that leaves safety, corner, and receiver. There's more positions than they have picks in the first two days. The problem. Um, if I look at the first round, it's a, it's a really tough year to figure out exactly how it's going to go. Uh, I still think there's going to be two quarterbacks going high, which is what you want. You want to see quarterbacks go early. You want to see offensive tackles go early because those are two positions we don't think they're going to take. So that theoretically pushes players down. We think edge players are going to go early, right? We think probably three within the first four or five picks. That's not great. That, that, that kind of takes them potentially out of the edge rusher conversation unless I could see Jermaine Johnson sliding into the range, possibly, but it would be a big jump, most likely. The other one, the kind of wild card here is Kyle Hamilton, the safety. Where does he go? People are really split on him because of the position and how much they value it. And there, there is the concern about his speed, which I'm not concerned about. People are concerned about it naturally in the league. But if he starts to slip into a range where the Eagles can get him, to me, that's a trade-up target. All day. And the other one who might be worth a trade-up, depending on where they have him medically, is Derek Stingley, um, who's super talented. They need a corner. He's, when all said and done, he could very well be the best corner in this draft. He has that type of talent. I don't know where they are in the medical. That's a, that's a tricky one because it's not just one injury. It's, it's the history of injuries. He's had one good college year. But the talent's there, and someone's going to – I think someone's going to take him higher than we think right now because there aren't many players who come out and are that talented from day one. So um, that's a long way of saying they have options. And when they have 15 and 18, the trade up and down options are still open. A trade up for those players, I said, possible. If they stay there, I think there's going to be decent value of receiver. Um, I personally would trade up for, for Jamison Williams. I think he's good enough to do that. But are you trading up for a guy who isn't ready day one? I don't know. It's questions there. If not, Chris Olave will probably be there. Garrett Wilson might not be. But you'll have a chance to get a decent receiver if you stay there. Uh, if you trade down from 18, which is possible too, if a team wants the quarterback, if the quarterbacks are not gone, you have the Saints behind you at 19. You have the Pittsburgh Steelers behind you at 20. I'm letting everyone know this pick is for sale. I'll slide back and, and find a player a little deeper in this draft. And, hey, if someone offers you something great enough, you'd trade out of it completely. I don't think that's crazy. So um, they have so many options. They really do. And then you start thinking, all right, where's the best depth day two? Like, where am I going to get second round? Like, what are the positions of the highest value? I look at the safety spot and think, I think there's a pretty good shot they can get a really good safety with that 51st pick, whether it's Lewis Seen drops or 
um, the Jalen Petrie from Baylor, like one of those guys might be available. So, and that's kind of all the, the things they're working through. And I'm talking so long because I don't know what they're going to do. And I, I'm not going to let you pin me down. I really, I, it's a tough deal right now. I think we know the positions and I think we know how they value it. And I'll leave it at that. Like, I, I think that um, they could stay 15 and 18 and get good players, but I, I tend to think they're going to move around a little bit. Well, Dave, we can't thank you enough for coming on. It's been a welcome change from the usual weekly ranting of uh, Mike and myself here about Carson Wentz. He actually gave the listeners an, an honest evaluation of everything that's, that's going to go on. Tell everybody where they can find you on social, online. I know you have a podcast with uh, Ruben Frank as well, so we'd love to hear about that. Yeah, Eagle Eye Podcast. It's wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, on Twitter, DZangaro, NBCS. Excellent. Thanks so much, Dave. All right, guys. Thank you. All right. Well, we just like to to reiterate our thanks uh, and, and appreciation to Dave Zingaro uh, for giving us some of his time to, to to talk about the NFL draft, to talk about our Eagles, uh, and answer our boneheaded questions uh, as we continue through this NFL off season. Um, so, looking forward to the draft Thursday night through the weekend. Uh, we'll see how our Philadelphia Eagles look uh, this time next week, and we'll be back to to recap that as well. Um, now, I think Bomb's got, I don't want to call it a bone to pick of the week. I think it's an anti-bone to pick of the week, but before I throw it over to Bomb, uh, this anti-bone to pick of the week, this this might be like a, a back tap of the week or like a hand clap of the week, because I, I think you're uh, in agreement uh, with with the act uh, that you're about to reference, but it is still brought to you by Shamrock Sun. And uh, speaking of Shamrock Sun, I myself, I went to the dermatologist this past week, had to get checked out, the annual checkup, and the doctor always asked me, "Do you wear sunscreen?" I said, "I said, doctor, of course I wear sunscreen. I wear Shamrock Sun. It's 50 SPF." And she said, "50's great." So Shamrock Sun has exactly what you need uh, as you're golfing through the spring. As you're chilling at the beach this summer, it's a big ass bottle of sunscreen. It's delivered to your door. They're on Instagram. They're on shamrocksun.com and they're available on Amazon. So if you want to protect your skin this summer, get yourself a bottle of Shamrock Sun and, uh, you know, you won't have to go to the dermatologist like me. Yeah, thanks, G. This week's story really is uh, it went viral. Uh, and we'll tee it up here. During a game between North Central Texas College and Weatherford, North Central Texas College's Josh Phillips hits a go-ahead home run off Weatherford pitcher Owen Woodward. And the video picks up as he's coming around second, chugging towards third. What you can see is an umpire saying something to the runner. And as he touches third, uh, the Weatherford pitcher, uh, again, Owen Woodward, throws the glove down, WWE style, charges towards the third baseline, and absolutely decks North Central Texas College's Josh Phillips. Uh, the bench erupts, uh, tackling, uh, you know, dog pile. Commentators are shocked. People are yelling. They don't know what to do. They couldn't believe it. Oh, my God, only in Texas. Is he playing baseball or is he playing football? Um, 
and uh, he's a sophomore. The pitcher's a sophomore. He faces potential disciplinary action. He's been kicked off the baseball team, and there's talk about expelling this kid. Okay, uh, they come out and they make a statement. Uh, the head coach is ticked off. Uh, we do not condone this type of behavior. We've worked hard to build a program with the highest of standards. Blah, blah, blah. We're totally embarrassed. Can't be tolerated. Um, yeah, I mean, everybody's shocked. Everybody talks about how it's absurd. Everybody talks about how this kid hit a home run and, and this, that, and the other, and the pitcher can kiss his college career goodbye, both on the bump, in the classroom, the whole thing. And... I can't help but take a step back and just say, like, what 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 happened around second? What happened after he hit the ding dong? You know, I'm all for a bat flip. I'm all for staring at it. But, you know, in today's day and age with all these high school, college, hell, even Little League, I told you about the little, you know, 13-year-old punk doing the gritty coming around third. All I'm saying is I don't condone violence. Typically, I like to see an answer in the confines of the of the game, you know, throwing at somebody right between the numbers. But it was nice for once to see somebody stand up for something and take uh, issue, we'll say, with whatever it is that happened. Now, I don't have the full story, but what, what I'm saying is it's just finally nice to see somebody stand up and say, you know what, I'm not dealing with it. Let, let, let's go. So we don't know for sure what, what the batter who hit the home run did to ignite the pitcher? Very mysterious. It's also odd that the the footage picked up before the pitcher charged. So what was going on after the home run? Clearly somebody felt the need to press record. The umpire is barking at the runner as he's coming around second, chugging towards third. And, and here they are crucifying this, this pitcher uh, like he's a lunatic, like he's a football player. Um, you know, I mean... In my, in my mind, I think, uh, you know, it is what it is. The bench is cleared. They protected their their hitter. The, the, you know, North Central Texas College, they come out of the dugout. They protect their guy. You know, the other team, they, they, they were kind of slow, honestly, from the trigger. So maybe this is totally on the pitcher. Maybe he's a total psycho. Clearly would have to be. But, you know, when you look at the way the game is going these days, where everybody's got to get theirs, everybody's got their perfect game statistics in their bio, the chains hanging out, the exit velo, they're all doing drive line. Every guy's out to get theirs and get their numbers. Like this is what's going to happen. And not that you'd ever condone it, but it was just nice to see somebody respond to something. The point you make about somebody having to press record on, on a phone or on a camera, like something had to have happened in those few seconds after the ball was hit. For, for them to press record, so. Exactly. I mean, you know, you never, even when there's video, you can never be certain that you're getting the full two sides of the story because who knows what happened in the last at bat? Who knows what happened before? Maybe the guy said something about the pitcher's mother. I mean, at that point, are, would anyone be surprised if you threw the glove down and went and tackled the guy? Yeah, all bets are off there. Um, it, so that's what happened. He threw the glove down, he charged him, and it was just a tackle. He basically like speared him slash clotheslined him as he was coming around third. I don't think the hitter saw it coming. The runner oh saw it coming. Um, that helmet went flying. I mean, it was like textbook. Textbook. Uh, I mean, he would have been called for targeting if it was a football game. Wow. 
So a couple weeks ago, we had the kid doing the gritty as he rounded third or after he touched home plate, really shoving it in the face of the pitcher. And this week, we've got the pitcher throwing a clothesline uh, as as the kid who hit the dinger is rounding third. So let us know where you stand on this. I mean, drop us a uh, a comment in, in, in the ratings on Apple or, or drop us a DM on Instagram at Thoughts from the Shade. Let us know where you stand, and uh, we'll, we'll keep an eye on these situations going forward. You got anything else to get to uh, this week, Bob? That's it, G. Just want to thank Dave for coming on. You know, great discussion about the draft. Uh, hopefully everybody enjoyed it, learned a little bit uh, from Dave, uh, as opposed to just listening to us two bozos rant and rave. Uh, but no, nah, man, this is Howie season. Let's hope we get the hit in season. That's all I got. Howie season, hitting season. Yeah, but again, big thanks to Dave. Uh, we own big time. And obviously, as always, big thanks to Menard Premium Detailing as well. Uh, the premier auto detail business in Bucks County. Uh, check them out on Facebook, YouTube, at MenardPremiumDetailing.com, and on Instagram. Um, if you're looking to get your car spick and span uh, for this late spring and summer, that we hope is approaching soon. But like I said, drop us a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, enjoy your week. Enjoy the draft. Enjoy the Sixers. Enjoy the Phillies. Hopefully we got nothing but good news next week. We'll talk to you then. Take care, everybody.